Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Red Hill Valley Parkway Inquiry has ruled that injured and lost loved ones will not be granted full participation rights. How'd this ruling go over? Well, we'll find out in just a couple of minutes. A Hamilton City Councilor has voiced concerns about information from their in-camera sessions being leaked to the media. Would verbal updates solve the problem? And we talked to the Director of Education for the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board about the student protests that occurred at Bertie Custa Secondary. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the uh, great stories that we've got, we've been covering for quite some time, of course, is the tragic circumstances around the Red Hill Valley Parkway. Uh, the, the number of accidents, the deaths, and uh, of course the hidden report that we found out about some months ago uh, that there were some concerns about the, uh, the, the road itself and the, and the construct of the road. Well, the inquiry into the Red Hill Valley Parkway is uh, getting underway, but they have ruled out that the applicants that have been injured or lost loved ones uh, during some of those many collisions and accidents uh, over the last number of years are not going to be granted full participation rights in the inquiry, and much to the chagrin of a lot of the people that had requested that that should happen. I want to bring John Best into the conversation, publisher of the Bay Observer, who's been uh, following this story uh, ever since it came to light. Uh, John, thank you for the time. Great to have you with us again today. My pleasure, Bill. For those of us that are expecting full disclosure and want to see exactly what's going on and, and, and just have full transparency in this, is, is this a step backward for us? I don't think so, Bill. Um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the full participation, I think, has more of a legal meaning than it does in terms of public process. Um, it, it involves, uh, depending on how full the participation is, uh, it, it involves uh, access to mountains of documents, uh, reports, studies, etc. And uh, but it also uh, the and the key element is it uh, um, it can involve uh, being funded. In other words, having your lawyers funded. So uh, full participation was granted to obviously the city, uh, Dufferin Construction, who did the original paving job. Golder Associates, who not only designed the highway, but also then did some of the friction testing. Um, but he's also made it very clear that in in, um, uh, in sort of denying what they're calling full participation, he is going to create a forum uh, for um, relatives, uh, families, and so on, and they will be heard. They will be heard in public. So I'm, you know, I, I don't, I think we don't want to be jumping too quickly um, to condemn the process. Uh, he's, he also made it very clear that that he would like to see the uh, the families and the effective people more formally represented. Um, so he's he's kind of left a door open there. Uh, you know, he says right in his thing, I acknowledge that as a result of this decision. The inquiry does not have any participants who are directly or indirectly affected by accidents, uh, but he, he's instructed staff to contact all those people and get their uh, testimony. Uh, and, and if they do think they have something that pertains to the actual friction issue, uh, they're invited to communicate with the, uh, with the commission. And, and he'd like to see them form some kind of a forum so they can be heard as part of the inquiry. We're talking, of course, about uh, Justice Herman Wilton Siegel, who's yeah. uh, in charge of this whole thing. Uh, Justice Siegel, of course, is well acquainted with Hamilton. He's been, actually been uh, the, the justice in charge of a number of different things that have happened here in the last little while, including the Stelco and U.S. Steel and a number of other things. 
So he, he knows the area. He knows the people here. Uh, I, I, I think probably the request, John, and I'm, I'm only postulating here, uh, from the number of people and families of, of, of victims that uh, have been involved in accidents and then sometimes fatalities here, uh, are looking to have a voice, uh, and I, I understand that there's always the, the the possibility of legal action, which is forthcoming, and I know that that's already been started. Uh, but I guess to to your point, they can't really go down that road until some of this information comes becomes public, and that's really kind of getting into the weeds about technicalities and 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 engineering and things of that nature. And and maybe we need to do that before we start hearing what essentially I guess are going to be victim impact statements. That's correct, and I think that's kind of what they fall into the category of. And then when you look at his terms of reference, so if you really look at his terms of reference, they're, they're, they're quite narrow uh, in the sense that uh, the first thing he's got to look into is all the issues around that 2013 report, uh, who got it after it was uh, transmitted by Golder, why it was not provided to city and the public, so, you know, those are issues that obviously the families of victims are not able to probably comment on. And then his second mandate is to deal with a, uh, the Ministry of Transport. Apparently they did some testing in 2007. What happened with those reports? Who got a look at them? Um, and then whether the city conducted any other friction tests. And then uh, finally, are there actually standards in Ontario? Because you'll recall that little 13-page friction report said there were no standards in Ontario, so they were applying British standards uh, uh, around the slipperiness of the highway. And and then uh, his final uh, mandate is the extent to which factors other than friction, including driver behavior, lighting, and weather. Now, there's an area where perhaps um, the, uh, the input from the, the affected families could be involved, but then again, it's talking about how they affect friction levels so you're you're into a technical thing again i mean really his mandate is 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 kind of technical and and fairly uh, narrow in in many ways but it's a, a very essential too i mean as we mentioned a number of the families have got together and uh, and we understand there's a class action lawsuit that's that's imminent if it hasn't been filed already we talked with uh, rob hooper a local hamilton lawyer who's i guess helping them out in this process uh, but this is going to be critical information for them if they're going to go forward into something like this. It's inevitable there's going to be some sort of legal action here, isn't it? I think it's ongoing now. Yeah. Um, I, I believe, you know, I think there's there's class action suits underway. So uh, this this inquiry can only, I think, provide ammunition to that process. Uh, I don't think it'll impede the process other than, uh, you know, that litigants may want to wait now and see if the the inquiry provides them with better evidence than what they have now. Um, but, you know, this, uh, I'm not sure if counsel fully, uh, you know, they got legal advice, so I guess they understood the ramifications. But this is a real tiger of a, of a process. And uh, I think the least of our worries is that it's uh, uh, not going to be uh, adequate in terms of finding out what happened. Um, he's got uh, subpoena power. Um, uh, people are going to have to testify under oath. We're going to find out exactly what happened to those reports and 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 what was behind it. And we're going to pay a lot of money to find out that information. But uh, I'm not too worried about the process in terms of it providing us with some good information. Well, we're going to pay a lot of money to get the information. And, and let's face it, John, I think we as a city are going to pay an awful lot of money after the, we, we get the information, too. 
there's something there's it has been, and we knew this from day one. As soon as it came to light that these reports had, you know, been put in somebody's bottom drawer. Uh, the question we're asking here is who knew what and when did they know it? I mean, that's, that's just which is, I guess, the bottom line of an awful lot of inquiries, but certainly of this one as well. I understand where the families are coming from, and I, I totally i am empathetic to where they're coming from. But as a taxpayer and as somebody who drives that road, I know you do all the time, as do I, sure. uh, we want to know who was the one that actually had eyes on this and decided, no, they don't need to know that. Well, uh, we're going to have staff. Uh, under oath, on the stand, essentially uh, fighting for their uh, their professional credibility at the end of the day, uh, staff and, and probably former staff, um, I think uh, things will come out. And, and, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that somebody would look at a report that had a red flag, flashing lights saying, you got to do something about this and, and stick it in a drawer. So, I don't think that's what happened. I, I suspect it has to do to some degree with the culture at City Hall, with the way, um, you know, it's a, it's a culture of, uh, pardon the expression, ass covering uh, and survival more than it is a culture of creativity. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So I'm, I have a feeling that almost as an unintended consequence of this, um, you're going to get a peek behind the curtain as to how things really work at City Hall. And uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, very enlightening to all of us. Well, isn't it about time we found that out anyway? I mean, sure in, in light of this and, and, of course, the sewer gate thing that, that we found out about as well. Uh, I mean, I talked to one staff person who talked to me on the you know pretext of, of anonymity. Uh, and I said, well, you know, who did know what was going on? Of course, they wouldn't mention names, but they, they also said, and I, I, I don't have anything to substantiate this, uh, but he did tell me in confidence, he said, if you think that so, nobody of the elected officials saw this and did nothing about it, he said, that you're being very naive. Somebody saw this. Now, I don't know who he's referring to, but that, that's, that's information that has to come out here. Yeah, I agree. I, I find it very difficult to believe that this wouldn't have been shared uh, with someone elected. Um, it certainly wasn't shared widely with council, and it certainly didn't show up in a council report. But uh, we've always talked about how there's kind of a two-tier council, and there's some people that get all the information, and there's some people that get some of the information. And, and that's the way it's been for as long as I can recall. So, uh, But I think it's going to be difficult um, for any of that to be hidden and uh, to, uh, I'm still, from time to time, looking at this process, a little bit surprised that council has unleashed this, uh, because uh, it, you just don't know where it's going to go. When you get a judicial inquiry with uh, uh, sworn testimony under penalty of perjury, uh, it, it's a whole different ball game than pretty much anything we've seen in this city before. And you're absolutely right. I think what we're looking for, and, and as concerned taxpayers, is uh, is what's the process here? Uh, and and this may, as you mentioned, this this may undercover a very ugly uh, underbelly of, of the way that things are done at City Hall, or were done at City Hall, or maybe still are done at City Hall, vis-a-vis uh, -vis, you know sensitive information about some key issues like this. And it's not the first time, clearly not the last time, that this sort of thing has happened. And it's about time that I think somebody shone the light on it. And if it's Justice Wilton Siegel that's going to do that, then so be it. 
Well, and, and get, getting back to the actual issue, this 13-page friction report, and I think you and I have discussed this before, I read the thing. Um, I wished every member of council had read it. Uh, but when you read it, uh, to be fair, uh, there are no flashing red lights. I mean, you have to really read it to find the passage where it says uh, on the on the Red Hill part of the of the highway system that the the friction is uh, below standards, but they don't use any words like urgent or alarm or uh, must do. Uh, there, there's none of that in this little report. So, you know, from that standpoint, you'd say, okay, maybe it maybe just people of goodwill just missed it. But then you have Golder already um, in in their submission to the in or, in order to uh, participate. They've made it clear that there were multiple attempts by Golder, and and they're the people that commissioned this little subcontractor to do the friction test. Uh, They're saying that they made repeated approaches to council, uh, or to staff, I should say. Mm -hmm. So presumably there's documentation on that. Uh, So that's going to be interesting. Who who was getting that and was the same person that was getting the repeated messages? Um, that's That's all going to be very enlightening. But uh, this is um, this is a real trip down into the unknown, Bill, and uh, I can't see uh, any way that, that there isn't going to be some results coming out of it that are going to have us all shaking our heads. Well, what about that other level of government? As you've mentioned, as we found out after the fact, uh, you know, we, we got word about the, the fact that somebody at, at City Hall sat on this report for a while. But so did the province. Uh, and, and where are the lines of communication? Or are there any between those two levels of government and between the public and those two levels of government? Well, and, and that's the other issue, because uh, what the uh, inquiry documents are suggesting is that as far back as 2007, which would be right at the beginning, I guess, of, uh, of, of the, well, in fact, the, the Red Hill portion wasn't even open yet, I don't believe. I don't think it opened until 08 or a little later. So at that point, there was obviously some testing being done on the link uh, that, you know, we just don't know what the results were. And But the other thing I found interesting was in the little 13-page report that has triggered all this, they flatly said there are no standards in Ontario, that they had to apply British standards because they couldn't find any here. Yeah, and even the British standards they they applied to the situation found it that the the road was lacking in some capacity, uh, and we're, we're sure. getting all sorts of things, John. I mean, from the day this road opened, we were told, for instance, up at the top there, where there had also been a number of collisions and a lot of concerns about safety, especially at night. Uh, we should put lights in, and time and time again, staff and city councilors told us, "No, no, 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 we can't do that. We did studies, and you're not supposed to do that because of the of, of the wildlife and some of the other things there." And then, and then we find out from this report that that was never the case. I mean, we've we've been misled about a whole lot of stuff here on this issue and a number of other issues. It's no wonder people are getting pretty ticked off about this. Well, and let's face it, anybody that's driven the the Red Hill heading heading up. Uh, upbound. Uh, when you get to the top there, there's a real maze of, of ramps and turns and very sharp turns. Um, it's um, You don't have a real secure feeling as you're weaving in and out of traffic, uh, it, especially if you're going upbound and your, your ultimate destination is uh, to, to then go west on the link. Uh, it's quite a little 
gauntlet that you have to kind of run through for about a kilometer or two until you start getting to the straightaway on the link. It's it's not an easy thing in broad daylight, and then you add darkness to it. It's uh, you know it's it's not a real comfortable drive. Well, not just the families of uh, people that have been victimized by this road uh, are concerned about this. I think each and every citizen that's ever driven on this uh, is is going to be anxiously waiting uh, to get some of this uh, information out here and uh, anxiously waiting to see just how this inquiry is going to uh, develop and, and exactly what kind of information we're going to get. John, thanks as always for this. Get, um, I, I think these families, and they certainly deserve to be heard. And, Absolutely. And, and I think they are going to, at the end of the day, get some information that's going to be helpful to them. Hope so. John, thanks as always. We'll stay in touch on this. You're welcome, Bill. John Best from the Bay Observer. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. In uh, an era where we as a, a public are looking for more transparency from our elected officials, uh, this story does not sit well with an awful lot of people. Hamilton City Councilor has said that he is concerned about information from in-camera sessions that's being leaked to the media and is now suggesting verbal updates instead of documentation. Uh, rather, that way you can't be taking documents out or passing them on to media types. Uh, I want to bring Larry DeAnne into the conversation, former Hamilton mayor and longtime city councilor, of course, in Stony Creek and Hamilton before he was mayor of the city of Hamilton. So he knows all about in-camera sessions and politics here in this community. Uh, Larry, great to have you back. Thanks for the sh- uh, chopping in today. Well, Bill, it's always a pleasure. Let's let's talk a little bit about this. There's there's always some trepidation, Larry, about any time city council goes behind closed doors for in-camera sessions, and and some think that that everything should be discussed in open form. Uh, we, we should, I think, address that first of all, because that's not always the case. There are some things that do warrant uh, some confidentiality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we we do live in an area uh, an era of where transparency counts. And I think that's absolutely good. I, I, I wish every level of government, by the way, uh, would be as transparent as the municipal level. I mean, we never see, um, you know, cabinet discussions, for example, at the provincial or federal levels. Uh, we we uh, never see caucus discussions where policies are set. We never see budgets, billions of dollars worth of expenditures um, uh, displayed in the public, created in the public, as we do with the municipal sector. So we, the, the municipal sector is the most transparent of all governments. Uh, having said that, though, there are times when for the protection uh, of taxpayers, and, and these times are spelled out in, in legislation in the Municipal Act, whether you're dealing with contracts, whether you're dealing with personnel matters, whether you're dealing with legal advice, where the public... Uh, interest would be in jeopardy if that uh, discussion were held out in the open. Um, therefore, you're allowed to go and have that private discussion with a solicitor or your staff uh, or the person about whom you're having uh, some personnel issues uh, so that you can make proper decisions that don't jeopardize the municipality. Now, that's you know a contradictory kind of uh, thing to say. We want transparency, and yet sometimes you can't have transparency for the public good, but that's just the way it is, Bill. Well, the classic example, I'll always remember it, it's when you and I were on council. This is going back, I guess, about 15, 16 years ago when you were still a councillor uh, during the first term of, uh, of amalgamation. And, and you'll recall this meeting, Larry. We were meeting with the uh, the Hamilton, uh, or no, it was the Canadian Golf Association, and it was we were negotiating to bring the Canadian Open to, to Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Hadn't been there for years, uh, as you recall. And uh, Bill Paul, who was the, the, the president of that association, was talking to us in camera 
and and cautioning council be very don't leak a word of this because there are three other cities that are bidding for this and if they found out what we're doing and it's going to blow the bid apart and and 10 seconds after we said that, I went into our, the, the lounge there to get a cup of coffee, and there's a, a counselor, a fellow counselor of ours, on the phone to a media guy explaining the whole thing to him. And I thought, what? you're not listening. And, and so I understand where, where it's Councillor Lloyd Ferguson, by the way, who made this suggestion about the idea of, of, of oral reports instead of paper stuff. I, I, right. I, I kind of get where he's coming from here because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of these things do get leaked. I mean, you know, city council, especially Hamilton City Hall, seems to leak like a sieve oftentimes. And that can be concerning and can be problematic in a number of ways. But it seems, as you mentioned, counterproductive to, to, the, to the, I think, the, ne- the need that we have right now to try to get as much information as we can and understand what processes are being done. Well, and I do remember that, uh, that circumstance you described, Bill, and I remember a heck of a lot of others as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking in camera, and, and, and all of a sudden the, uh, the uh, local TV station or radio station is carrying the news that was supposed to be private and confidential. Very frustrating, uh, I know, um, and uh, you know it's just part of uh, the process in a in a, a society, a free society where people are free to speak and use their discretion. And uh, in some cases, they they use it in the wrong way. Uh, however, here's what people need to understand: that in the context of an open and transparent government, sometimes. Uh, there's information that needs to be for a period of time, not forever. And I'm thinking of union negotiations, for example, right? They're all disclosed very publicly what the raises are, what the terms are, what the conditions are. They're all disclosed. But for a period of time when it's very sensitive to maintain the strategy of the negotiations, to keep that information private, uh, therefore, it should be kept private or you jeopardize the greater public interest um, because it may cost you more money if indeed that information is leaked to the other side of the bargaining table. Also, Bill, I'd, I'd ask you to consider this, and you and I both experience this as well. Sometimes, and especially around negotiations, you ask staff to give you an update uh, on a legal matter or a negotiations matter, a, a, a property acquisition matter, uh, something very, very uh, uh, delicate in terms of the information. And staff can't rush out and create a, uh, a record. They, you go in camera and they verbally give you that information. So the verbal information happens all the time as well. Now, I realize that what the counselor was saying is that that should be a standard. Perhaps that should be applied more broadly. But, but uh, And maybe that, that uh, cannot be the case because sometimes you have to include complicated things that people want to actually look and see and remember. But, but his point, I think, is well taken, that if the purpose of the in-camera item is to protect the public interest and it leaks out publicly, therefore damaging the public interest, what good are you doing? And so for those limited cases that are very narrow and very specific uh, and need to be kept confidential for a period of time, I think we should allow that. All right, so I'll ask you the question for the ages here, which not just Hamilton Council, but I think every council in, in this country is, is wrestling with it. How do you find that balance? Well, and, and, and that's, that's the, the tricky part. And, of course, we've had some examples where, um, you know, councils um, um, go in camera and they stray beyond the very narrow scope that you're supposed to be in, cam- in camera for. I recall when we were involved, we actually asked the clerk to be sort of a referee, 
where we said, look, um, please remind us and call a, uh, a counselor that may be straying into public territory um, when they do so, uh, so that we s- restrict our comments to the in-camera item alone and not everything under the sun. And so we try to institute a check on that, but sometimes I know that, that we probably strayed. I'm, I'm, I'm positive we did. So you got to be, um, you know, you, you have to have some integrity, I think, in terms of how you handle these moments and, and always have to ask the question, which should have been done probably when we went through the sewer sludge issue, which is, all right, it's kept in camera because of these reasons. We understand that. But when are we going to tell the public? In some cases, it's obvious. If there's a negotiation that you're dealing with privately, then when that is terminated, you release that information publicly. But in other cases where it may not be quite as obvious what the end point is and what the public communication should be, that question should be asked. So maybe that's the, that's the, uh, you know, the honest broker in the whole thing is that question. Okay, it's in camera now. For how long and when do we tell the public and how do we release that information? Because the question a lot of people in the public have, and, and frankly, Larry, I do, as, and so do you, I know, is look at when you say something is sensitive and we need to go behind closed doors to discuss it, is it because of potential legal ramifications or is it because it's embarrassing to counsel? Uh, and and well, you have to ask yourself that question sometimes. As as some of this information, such as Sewergate and others, have come to light, you figure, why weren't we informed about that? Well, don't tell me that we're, you know, you were worried about public safety. Public safety was endangered by not telling us in a situation like that. And and I tend to think, from what we know of that now, we don't know the whole story yet. That obviously has to be investigated, as does the Red Hill situation. Uh, did they hold it back simply because they think, yeah, I don't want to deal with this right now, and I don't want to get the, the pushback that I know we're going to get? Yeah, and, and that's, that's the, the critical question, isn't it? Because the public is cynical. Uh, maybe they have every right to be cynical, and they always assume the worst. They always assume. The assumption always is that, well, you're keeping it quiet because you're embarrassed or you're doing something wrong or, or um, uh, you know, you're trying to protect somebody. I mean, all of those things, all of those allegations are made. I, honestly, I, I cannot remember any time that we went into camera uh, for those nefarious reasons um, and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, we need to prove that each time. Uh, you know, the, the whole sewer thing was, was uh, um, you know, something quite dramatic and in, in terms of the, the outcome of that, or at least in terms of the impact to the environment of that, and the question was never asked, I don't think, or at least if it was asked, it was not publicly stated, which was, okay, it's in camera now for the reasons that you've given us. And I've spoken to a number of the counselors, and all say that they had an environmental lawyer who, who, who has expertise in this area. They had city lawyers there. They had senior staff there, all indicating why the information was, was confidential and needed to be confidential, uh, even though they, they released information to the public, but not in any dramatic way. But the question that was never asked, I don't think, appropriately, was, okay, when do we tell everybody the full impact here because it's pretty dramatic stuff. And so, you know, councils make errors. Uh, we all do. And, and, they, and that tends to color uh, people's perspective on everything and not just, uh, not, not just those instances. So, uh, you know, uh, I would ask, and of course we've been in it, so we, we've lived that side of the world. Now we're on the other side, and we want to know, especially, uh, you know, uh, you, Bill, uh, being a professional in the media now, 
Uh, you want to know information. We want to be transparent. We need to be transparent. We need to tell the public what's happening. And we've had great and, and uh, very dramatic worldwide examples of why that's important. We're living through one now with the coronavirus where, you know, if you read the, uh, one of the major uh, newspapers the other day, uh, China seemed more intent on protecting its image than telling people what was really happening. Uh, we went through Chernobyl, uh, where the government of that time was more intent on, uh, you know, keeping a lid on their image rather than telling people uh, some awful stuff that was happening. So those things tend to color us. We should give counsel the benefit of the doubt, but we should always verify that what they're doing is for the public interest. Yeah, and I understand that that's going to be their rationale all the time, but you've just quoted a couple of examples, and I, I would tend to, from what we know, uh, throw Sewergate onto that list as well on, on a local level, because now that we know this information, the, the, the first question that came to mind and we, when this came to light was, well, there's nothing here that we sh- shouldn't have known a year ago. I mean, why didn't you just tell us? You know, people walked there. They walked their dogs there. They, you know, they... they, you know, they went to that area. The RBG was affected. Uh, you know, I talked to the Burlington mayor, Marianne Mead Warden. She was she was very upset, and so was Gary Carr, the regional chair at Halton, that, hey, so we're partners in this. We're paying money for the remediation of this thing, and you guys are throwing pollution in there, and you're not telling us about it? I mean, there was. I don't see the upside into keeping it quiet for a year, and that only adds to the speculation that, okay, you just did this because it was embarrassing, and you didn't want to deal with the fallout, and it raises, of course, the follow-up question always, well, what else are you holding back? Yes, and, and, and that's why I, I think the question uh, that needed to be asked in that instance was, okay, when do we release and, and what do we release that's more transparent than what we've already done? I, I would caution us, though, to not equate what happened here, as bad as it was, with coronavirus or Chernobyl, my goodness. Uh, but, but I heard the interview with uh, the mayor of Burlington, and um, and that you did and and I mean I don't blame her for having made the points that uh, that she made. Uh, they needed to, to to be kept in that loop. The the only the only and I'm I'm not here you know to try to defend counsel at all because I even wrote a, a piece in the newspaper criticizing the communications around that. Uh, but the only thing that I would say is that they had experts uh, and legal staff who cautioned. Um, uh, on on how and what to release. Uh, what they failed to do, of course, is understand the impact, because it was all going to come out, uh, the, the, the impact, not only uh, that was detrimental to the image of the city, but also the real uh, impact to those who use those uh, venues to recreate or to work in and work around, uh, and, uh, and the real uh, damage that that might have uh, done to the environment and to their own uh, lifestyles as well. So for all of those reasons, I think we need to be very careful when we go into camera and always ask the question, okay, uh, both of ourselves, but, uh, but of staff as well, okay, we take your word that this needs to be private at this point, but at what point do we tell the public? Because the public will need to know. And, and that question needs to be answered before I go out of any meeting um, so that uh, the, it's clear to everybody that the item is restricted for the time being, but transparent 
uh, in the slightly longer term. But look, at I understand, you know, where, where lawyers are coming from. And, and I, you know, we both uh, sought legal advice, both as elected officials and even in private life. I mean, we deal with lawyers and they tend to err on the side of caution. And that's that's good. That's their job, because there are obviously there could rather be ramifications to situations like this. But I'd like to think that part of that discussion when they were talking to the lawyers behind closed doors was, okay, fine, but we have promised transparency here. Uh, we've got to find a way to, to compromise here. We can't just say, okay, we're just not going to tell anybody. We have to say, we're either going to let this out there and let people know, or we're going to have to devise a strategy to let people know about what's going on here. And I don't know that yes. that happened. But the fact that nothing happened for over a year tells me that that probably never happened. That discussion never occurred, and that's, that's problematic. It certainly didn't occur in any fulsome way in that particular example. But but we've got two principles in conflict with each other, Bill, and that's, and that's part of the problem here. One principle is transparent government, and I've already stated that, and I think, I think everybody would agree, that the municipal government is the most transparent of all, where everything almost happens in, in, in public. In fact, you can't even have meetings um, uh, without constituting a legal quorum and inviting... Uh, uh, you know, the public to participate. We've had examples of that, where they wanted to interview candidates for a city manager, for heaven's sakes, and that they were crashed by the public because, you know, of their right to be there. Uh, so we've had examples where the public comes in, wants to be in, needs to be in, and it's good that they're engaged and they are in. But the conflict is that sometimes the law also mandates that you shut up about things and you keep them confidential for a period of time. So you've got to find that balance between obeying that part of the law while also being true to the bigger and perhaps in some cases more important part of the law, which is transparent and wanting people to know why you're doing things and what you are doing in fact. I, I mean, the other side of this coin, too, is for people that are going to be leaking information, and that could be staff members, oftentimes it's counselors. We have to lay that on the table right now. Uh, there's there's got to be some sense of of, of culpability and 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 uh, you know well, I don't know if it's penalties or something of this nature for somebody who does that sort of thing and does put the city at risk, especially from a legal standpoint. Uh, and we've seen that happen too, where personnel issues have been leaked to the to the media about certain issues, and and that's that's not supposed to happen. Uh, and they hide behind the guise of, well, I'm an elected official, so you know the city will defend me. Uh, somebody's going to have to take a, 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 the, the blame for some of these things that are happening from time to time. Uh, and maybe if councillors themselves, as a body, uh, were a little more, you know, I guess, responsible when it comes to this sort of thing and held those who are guilty of doing that sort of thing responsible, maybe you'd see a lot less of that sort of thing and, and the possibility of legal action happening. Well, and of course, council has the right to do that. In fact, uh, if we just drive down the street to, uh, to, or at least down the highway to uh, Niagara Falls, yeah. as we speak, there's a councillor there that is being censured and I think is losing pay for a period of time. I can't remember exactly how long, but she's actually losing pay for a period of time. And the, uh, the crime, uh, not crime in the, in, the, uh, in the criminal sense, but the, the aberration that she committed was releasing private information publicly. Uh, now, she says that, uh, um, and I read the article, she says that, of course, she didn't realize she was doing that. She wasn't uh, uh, trying to, uh, to uh, contradict or damage uh, uh, this solidarity. Uh, but because, and, and this was investigated by their integrity commissioner, uh, because it had happened more than once, uh, there was a penalty imposed, which meant loss of pay. So council has every right to do that, 
Um, but it's very tough, uh, A, to prove, and, and B, uh, you know, to, to do that with, with uh, counselors who sometimes are seen as heroes for, for releasing information. You know, the Arsura issue is a case in point, where people want to know who leaked that, not because they want to punish them, but they want to praise them, uh, even though it, in the long term it may be found out that they actually did something more harmful than good. Uh, by releasing things uh, a little too uh, prematurely. Exactly. Larry, we've got to jump in. We're just about out of time here. Uh, To be continued, I'm sure, okay? Thanks so much for the time today. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, if you were driving through uh, downtown yesterday, you noticed that uh, students at Bernie Custis Secondary School down by Tim Hortons Field uh, marched off school property yesterday and uh, blocked traffic, actually, for a few minutes, protesting the pausing of a black youth mentorship program. Uh, there's a lot to this story, a lot to unpack here, and uh, we want to bring Manny Figueredo in. He's the director of education at the Hamilton Westbrook uh, District School Board. Uh, Manny, thank you for jumping in here. Appreciate you joining us today. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. Let's maybe talk a little bit about this program and, and the board's decision to, to hit the pause button on this, first of all. And the, my understanding, Manny, is, as I read this, is uh, this is really kind of a consequence of, of a report that uh, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion released a little while ago. Yeah, it's connected to that. But, Bill, I, I always go back and think about, you know, what's the core of what's happening? And, you know, speaking to many people in the community, there's data around our, our our black community who have feel who have been who have felt over the years, um, you know, they have grievances with our systems, our educational systems. So when I continue to look at data in terms of us serving all all students, um, we see you know there's a disproportionate number of students represented or, or misrepresented in certain outcomes. So I believe that's really the core of what of what we're seeing, and we have, we acknowledged for years ago that we had to do something different for our black youth in our schools who we believe aren't reaching the outcomes we want them to. And hence why we brought in HCCI as a partner in 2008 to think about how we can uh, be different and, and mentor. So we're open to doing better and we've acknowledged and that's why we bring in partners. In, in terms of um, you know what transpired, uh, to me this is... Um, we're, I believe we have one common goal, both partners. We are here for the kids. And so to me, it's not about who's right or wrong. It's about trying to seek some understanding. Um, From our perspective, we engaged in this partnership, and I can understand the students are feeling caught in the middle of this. We pause this knowing that the next session is February 27th at Bernie Cusses, because the sessions happen monthly. We're hoping that there'll be no disruption in the program. so we just want to see clarity. We have a meeting next week on Tuesday evening with the chair of HCCI and the executive director, Kojo, myself and my chair, just to seek um, um, clarity, you know, of, of like you saw in their media release today, what happened on Sir, at Sir John A. Medell on December 17th, and what was the purpose of that session, what was promised or expectations from both organizations, and um, a, a report whether research or not, to me, something was reported. Um, uh, and did everyone have understand that this would be reported? So for me, it comes down to, you know, uh, ethics around, around an ethical framework around gathering information. The real spirit, the spirit for us is how do we make sure everyone feels safe, everyone's respected, and concern for welfare for all is considered. So we're actually looking forward uh, to, that, to that meeting next week to see clarity. And to me, it's not about 
who's right or wrong. It's about how do we move forward together. And there's a bump in the road for the adults. How do we model this for our students to see that when there's bumps in the road, we get together, we have a conversation and see clarity for the common good of our kids. The the report that, that Manny's referring to, for those who don't know, it has to do with a report that the uh, Civic, uh, Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion uh, released a, a couple of weeks ago now. And Kojo Dampy was actually on our program, Manny. I don't know if you were able to hear the interview. Uh, I think it was the day after they released the report. And, and we went over some of the items in that report. And uh, they are concerning, to say the least. And I'm sure there's other verbs we can use here. But, uh, you know, some of the students suggesting that, for instance, the board uh, does not take racism and discrimination seriously and uh, relies on what they call Band-Aid solutions. Uh, have you had a chance to respond to that and, 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 to, and to, to give your side of this situation? Because we, we heard from the students, as the Civic Inclusion did, the, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion did in their report, uh, and a number of students made very similar comments to this. How does the board respond? And is, is that time to respond, one of the reasons why you wanted to give yourself a couple of days here to, to formulate that and, and present it at the next meeting? Yeah, so we've, we've looked at this, and this information has come um, to us before. So one of the things um, you, might be, you might remember, Bill, is that when we looked at this about a year and a half ago in our board, we said, do we have the right expertise in the board to help us think differently? So one of the things the Board of Trustees has said, you know, um, we've hired um, an equity and human rights officer, um, Johanna Otit, and um, she was the former executive director of HCCI mm-hmm. we hired. And in addition to that, we started thinking of what other structures in the system do we have to gather voice. So trustees clearly asked for um, an equity and human rights advisory committee uh, where people can give some advice in terms of how to help us move forward from the, from the black community. And that's been in place. And this year, um, last year, crux of the work was to look at some data and think about what is in our action plan. And this September, we uh, launched our action plan and we looked at, at some of the uh, groups who are underachieving. We looked at our LGBTQI2S plus community. We looked at um, things we deal sometimes with anti-Semitism. We also looked at um, xenophobia and, and, and anti-black. So those were, um, we just launched this year. And the other thing we talked about, which was one of the recommendations of the students, we, was around anti-oppression and anti-racism uh, training. Um, that began this year in the fall, um, Unfortunately, you know, the, the provincial job sanctions um, that are occurring has put um, sort of all that professional learning right now on pause. So we've begun the work and we know we have more to do. So when I read their recommendations, um, um, they've already begun to influence the work from the past because they, they, a few of the members from HWDSB Kids Need Help actually sit on our advisory committee. So, and I know from the kids' perspective at times, it doesn't happen fast enough, right? It, uh, they want to see the action, and, and, um, and hence why we thought another strategy was, who are the partners that can help us? So one was HCCI around this mentorship program, and the second was our ministry through the uh, Ministry's Equity Secretariat. Our board this year uh, was also, in addition to this mentorship program, uh, given t- uh, a program called the... Um, black graduation coach program and we have a full-time uh, coach in bernie custis school who's there every day in addition to the mentorship program hci does on a monthly basis and we also have that grad black coach program uh in westdale school so over the last year and a half we've started to make uh some headway but we know we have a lot more to do 
This is interesting feedback, and and obviously you've got an opinion on, on some of the comments that were made by students in the, in that other report, Manny. Uh, among them, by the way, was the, they called for the elimination of the uh, the, the, the police uh, uh, cooperative program that you put in place years ago, of course, uh, with police officers being around school areas. And, and I know when that program was instituted some years ago, uh, the stated goal then was to try to build bridges between uh, police uh, services and students. Uh, it seems as if that's not working, or at least from judging from some of the comments we saw from some of the students in, in the HCCI report, uh, they look at that as part of the problem, not part of the solution. How, how does the board respond to something like that? No, we've, well, we have a partnership with our handsome police services, and as you're right, we, um, even when I was a principal uh, many years ago, we had the, the police liaison officer um, and they're, they're, you know, unlike maybe other jurisdictions where they might have a full-time police resource officer, we don't have full-time police resource officers in a school. But the intention of that liaison program was to build a relationship in a proactive way to support. But what I hear from some youth at times, um, that they may feel intimidated uh, by the police liaison officer. So I hear a range of uh, concerns. And... We need to work, continue to work with the police liaison program and then decide what are the, you know, how is the program being implemented and what are some of the challenges and how do we get better um, with our Hamilton Police Services to be at the table. We haven't had a chance to discuss this uh, with them because our our real key next step uh, right now when this report came out, uh, one was I asked my staff to follow up, you know, if there's any incidents right now that students are feeling unsafe, regardless of why, the follow-up has to occur right away. Yesterday, um, I did go speak to the Black Youth Council, and, and they're concerned. They're, they're feeling that um, because they spoke up, that, that this is retribution. Um, and, you know, I tried to indicate that the pause right now is because we want to review the partnership with HCCI and understand um, what was promised after that, and then um, how come we didn't... We weren't aware of the report coming out, and we found out by chance and only saw... Uh, the report that that day. Uh, typically, that's not how we work with um, uh, partners, and we want to just sort of explore um, what happened. Do you feel you got blindsided? Well, we yes. I mean, we felt blindsided by that, but but I want to unpack unpack that to find out why. And then, were they frustrated about something else? Was was their concern? Um, we know um, when they. Uh, I mean, their media release and Kojo uh, and their chair were active. We invited them in to a session on December 17th at Sir John A. To, because we know they had relationship. It, um, it was in addition to the to maybe the mentorship program, but they were already in our school, so we had a relationship. We thought it was important for them um, to help gather the notes and the themes. Um, so what we're trying to unpack is um, the, the promise that sort of that was made that these notes were for the school to move forward. Um, for the principal to use, and not for, and this was not to be um, published. Well, they are now, so let's not let's not debate about the content. If this is how the kids are feeling, let's unpack that. But I think we still need to look at, um, you know, the, the trust has sort of been broken in terms of what promises have been made, and that's why we want to meet. Um, we we're also open that if to bring someone in to help mediate, uh, the partnership is too important. So, um, you know, we've offered. Um, our chair is offered for someone to come in. You know, is there someone from the anti-racism directorate who will come in and help us mediate? Um, because at the end of the day, our outcome is here for the, um, I believe our both have the same outcome and objective, 
is to help our students who at times don't see themselves uh, achieving the way they should. And so how can we help them together? So we're committed to making this work, but we do want to unpack sort of maybe um, when trust is potentially broken, you, you need to pause and spend time uh, coming to a common understanding. And uh, that's what we hope we'll do on Tuesday. We're committed to that. This seems as if there's two different planes, maybe parallel planes that, that you're dealing with here, Manny. One, of course, is the well-being and welfare of the students, and, and I know that you and I have talked about that many times in the past, and that's I know why some of these programs you've just articulated here have been put in place in the first place. But probably equally uh, important right now is that it seems to me as if there seems uh, uh, to be a breach of trust here between you and, and the HCCI, and, and that's going to be very, very problematic because, I mean, those two entities, the board and HCCI, are going to have to work together for the welfare of the students. I mean, that's, this, is, this is a partnership that just has to, to work one way or another. You're absolutely right, Bill. So you say there are two things that are happening in parallel, and I always come back to the core of why educational systems are here. We're here um, to have outcomes for all, and when we hear the word all, People need to challenge us because we say all, all are all are all students achieving the same outcomes, and if there's a disproportionate number of students from certain populations not achieving, then we got to do better. That's the core of that, and hence our trustees have said sometimes we need partnerships that provide different resources to help us to work together, and and hence why um, we reached out to um, HCCI in 2018 and supported, uh, provided a letter so the, you know, so funding could be provided for this. And we're, we're committed. So we are working in this in parallel. And um, our hope is that there will, there will not be a disruption because the next mentoring session is February 27th. And, and if we can come to a resolution, um, we're committed to moving forward, but we have to have a trust sort of a trusting relationship to move forward as partners. Let me ask you, i got about a minute left here. Is is your relationship, the board's relationship, that is, with the HCCI on shaky ground right now? Well, I mean, when I say, I think my comment was, if, if there's a concern about trust, then you get together and meet. Uh, you know, I met, I saw Kojo yesterday. He was here. I know he's passionate about the kids. He cares about the kids, and he wants to give them voice. And we need to, and we need to learn from him and the group. Um, but we just need to make sure that when we do any kind of gathering of information, that, that we use an ethical framework so people know the spirit and that uh, people are, are all respected and, and concerned for everyone's welfare when something's um, uh, going to become public. And we weren't aware of that, so we want to make sure that all people engaging in conversations are aware of what they're engaging in how the information is going to be used to help move us forward. So right now we've hit a bump, I would say, but uh, we're committed to moving forward. Manny, we'll uh, stay in touch. Obviously, more meetings to come and uh, certainly some clarity that that has to be forthcoming here, I think, for the students' sake especially. Uh, Thanks for the time today, and uh, we'll talk again in a few days, I'm sure. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Manny Figueroa, of course, Director of Education at the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.